Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Stephanie Land, a woman who has spent much of her life here in the Northwest. And for most of this life, Stephanie has dreamed of writing. She is definitely following her passion, and her first book, a memoir, certainly grabs our attention. Titled Maid, Hard Work, Lope, and a Mother's Will to Survive, Stephanie not only honestly opens up her life, but provides us with the opportunity to understand the trials, the challenges of single motherhood and working for low-paying jobs. It's an eye-opener and asks us to ask ourselves important questions about the world that we have and what we want to do about it. So let's meet Stephanie and hear it directly from her. Stephanie Land, good morning. It is so great to have you join us today. Thank you for having me. I'm very thrilled and and feel honored to have you join us because this new book, Made, Hard Work, Load Pay, and A Mother's Will to Survive is so incredible. And um, as you were telling me just moments ago, it's uh, been on the New York Times bestsellers list. So as a new writer, were you expecting that to happen for you? Oh, no. No, <laughs> not at all. I I didn't really think people would like this book. I mean, not just because... I sat with it for a couple of years, and, you know, after you sit with your own story, uh, after you've read it 20 times, you know, at the end of all of that, you kind of are convinced that it's a piece of garbage and no one's ever going to like it. But um, but I also have been a writer on the Internet for, you know, almost four years and have been writing almost exclusively about social and economic justice and uh, the comment section is also a place that is unfriendly for those articles. And I guess I expected more of that type of response from people. Well, the fact that it's on the New York Times bestseller list is definitely high kudos and and definitely something that perhaps tells us that this is really important information. People are wanting to know the story. And I know that, you know, I've been kind of on the periphery of that, really uh, wanting social justice and thinking of economic justice. And yet your book, Made, is is such an incredible eye-opening experience. It's it's totally unbelievable. Yeah, I I would agree with everything you just said. (laughs) Because the Of course, there's no way to capture all of it, and I think it's an important read to really get the nuances and get the full, get all the feelings and experience it alongside you as to what it was to be um, a a single mom and wanting to do all that you could for your daughter, and yet to do that, you know, just really being literally between that rock and a hard place, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, um, especially in the system of government assistance, when you're uh, applying for and then trying to stay on assistance, uh, just in the safety net programs like food stamps and housing and, um, you know, uh, utility assistance and and child care. Um, those are the four major big ones. And Medicaid, too. Um, the application process is is really intense and then you have to recertify every 
three to six months because you never have to fill out recertification applications all at once for everything. It's always like, okay, now your Medicaid is coming up and now you know got to reapply for the childcare grant um, because you're not only having to prove that you don't have money and that you actually are poor, you're having to prove that you're working. And, um, and so if you have a month that you have to reapply for food stamps and you had like a really good month, like a kind of a bumper month with work and you made $150 more or something like that, you could lose uh, that much or even your entire amount of food benefits. So, um, so there's, there's this huge thing. It's called the welfare cliff that people are forced to jump off of. And you have to go from, you know, for a single parent, um, receiving a full amount of assistance to make up for that benefit, you would have to go from earning $10 an hour to something like $33 an hour. Uh, and, you know, when we're still fighting for $15 an hour, like that's, um, that's a pretty impossible feat. Yes, and and one that we totally can't fathom ever happening when it's been already such a struggle for $15 an hour. Yeah, and, you know, we're, we're also seeing, because of the government shutdown, that um, even jobs that we consider to be good government jobs, um, they don't have a savings account. You know, after two missed paychecks, they were struggling to buy groceries. And I think that was really eye-opening for a lot of people, um, just seeing how many Americans are working at, you know, what we consider would be a good job, and they have no cushion underneath them. Exactly, because with the cost of living these days, it really just keeps us either strapped where we are or even just slipping backwards little by little. It's all, I think, in the way the system works, and and you go into some of that certainly with us in this book. Was it then hard for you to describe that and and open up your soul for that, Stephanie? It was, but it um, not in a way that was like opening up my soul or anything. It, it was more of, um, I mean, the first draft of the book um, was kind of a, a quick and dirty first draft. And, you know, I went through it a couple of times and then I submitted it to my editor at Hachette. Um, her name's Krishan Trotman. And when we were going through the revision process and the editing process, um, the very, you know, first the second chapter of the book, um, you, I originally didn't have a lot of the stuff in there about the transitional housing and a lot of the government assistance that I was on at the time. And, um, and she asked me, she said, well, wait, what happens between the homeless shelter and moving onto the farm? And I was like, oh, you know, this happened and this and this. And she's like, well, that needs to be in there. And for me, I hadn't even considered putting that in there because it was such a part of my day-to-day life um, that it was almost like writing about making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, but I went back and read or reread um, Barbara Ehrenreich's Nickel and Dimes and, and saw and remembered that her whole entire book is about trying to find a place to live and something to eat and uh, clothes for her uniform. And I kind of remembered that that is not necessarily something that a lot of people experience in their daily life. 
you settled then on working a- as a house cleaner, cleaning houses for various kinds of peoples, but you, pretty much those who were at a higher income level. And first of all, why did you choose doing that, the housework? It wasn't a choice at all. Um, it was it was during the recession, so you know, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and I was constantly applying for jobs and just could not get one. Um, my work history was coffee shops and doggy daycares and like Montessori schools. And um, I suddenly was in a position where I had to work only during daycare hours. And a lot of those jobs are um, not entry-level positions. And uh, if any of them were, they were already taken up by someone who had been laid off and had way more experience or education than I did. And it just, um, cleaning houses was the thing that rose to the top as, as really the only job that I could do. Cause I couldn't work on evenings or weekends. Um, I couldn't like cover someone's shift. I couldn't, you know, there was so much that I wasn't able to do. And it seemed like as soon as I hinted at that in a job interview, it, it was pretty much over. Um, and so Cleaning houses, the schedule is generally during school hours or, you know, those business hours. Uh, when I started uh, doing that on my own, like in a self-employed type of way and getting my own clients, um, those clients would even work with me and I could bring Mia, my daughter, with me to work. And so it was flexible that way as well. Um, and it, it was just a job that, that worked with what I needed to do. But this comes out so clearly, and and we should know if we're cleaning our own houses. I know it's a workout when I am and doing my housework, but it doesn't have to be done at a certain time, and all of it done. To read your experience is just uh, it feels backbreaking, and it was backbreaking work. Yeah, I mean, I um, I have a condition called scoliosis. And uh, it's where your spine curves and mine is pretty severe. I've shrunk at times like an inch in my life. And so I also didn't have a lot of feeling uh, because of nerve damage in my right arm. And so there was a lot of pain involved, Um, not only at work, you know, trying to scrub out showers with a sponge, but at night I would wake up at you know, four o'clock in the morning and be in so much pain that I couldn't get back to sleep. It, it's just unbelievable to think about that level of work and, and doing it. You were called the hardest worker, right? They knew that the employers who hired you for their businesses knew that you were the best that they could have working for them, right? Yeah, I, I never really understood why. I mean, one of my clients called me the hardest worker and um and I I never really I don't know I never really worked with anyone so I didn't see how other people worked um the only times that I ever worked with someone it was with my boss and you know she was very good (laughs) at her job so um I just was constantly under this kind of pressure that I had to do the very best work possible because I wanted to work again. And 
I felt like if I did a bad job or if I called in sick or if I had to reschedule for any reason because my daughter was sick, um, then they wouldn't want to hire me again as a cleaner because I was unreliable. And, you know, that's a pretty disposable feeling. And and you share with us th- that feeling of when your daughter, when Mia is so tiny, little, you know, she's a, a toddler and she's sick, but you have to go to work and having to make those choices, all of that going on for you. And then you'd encounter someone in the store where you're buying some food, using your food stamps, and, and they'd be looking down their noses at you, right? Yeah, I mean, it's... Um... It's a pretty general, I think, uh, reaction to someone using their food benefits to purchase things or using their cash benefits. Um, It kind of all comes out of the same card. It's called an EBT card. Um, But, yeah, I I knew just from being on Facebook and reading the news and, you know, looking through my Facebook feed, uh, what people thought of people on food stamps. Uh, I mean, there there were comments flying around me just in conversations, you know, without them knowing that I was on food stamps, they would talk pretty openly about what they thought about people who were. And um, so, yeah, I, I was very much aware of what people were thinking sometimes. And that just there's where the lack of justice, the injustice occurs, is that you're working so hard at being able to keep things together to do, to care for your daughter, have her in daycare, but be with her the rest of the time. And and you can only do this kind of labor that pays so minimally, but these are, you're working for people who have, well, are in, in a much higher income bracket, Right. Yeah, but I, I started to see that that didn't necessarily make them happier. I mean, it it seemed like they were all struggling with the same kind of things that I was. Um, you know, they they got sick. They were they had chronic pain and and illnesses and and mental health things going on. And um, and I the thing that didn't make sense to me was that they were working so hard to maintain and pay for a lot of spaces in their house that they didn't even use. And that just seems like such a waste on all sides. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I, I chuckle at that because I know that's the case in my life where it's, you, know, you want this comfortable home, but then you realize who really needs all this space. Uh, and, and so many people need space and we build these not even necessarily mansions, but just a larger footprint house that uh, maybe we only need half the size of that. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm looking for a new place to live right now and because uh, I need to move out of the house that I'm in. And uh, even renting or possibly buying, I mean, I still kind of feel like buying a house is a pipe dream, but um just in renting a house, every single time I, I look at one, I did a walkthrough yesterday and just looking around and like, oh no, this is way too big to clean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's kind of my rule is I, I want to live 
in spaces that get used and are easily accessible to keep and maintain and um but also you know i have two kids now and it would be really nice to have some kind of basement where they could go and do all of their uh jumping around and watching television programs but that's a lot of space to maintain yes and point well taken about what it takes to clean it because you have that real hands-on experience about that. So you look at it with a much more critical eye as to what it takes for that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Spaces get pretty gross really easily and it happens fast and, um, and it is hard to keep up on the deep cleaning aspects of stuff. Uh, and it's a lot of work. I mean, I have a, I'm living, I'm renting a three bedroom house right now and it has a living room, but I, it's a lot of work to keep that clean. Um, and yeah, I, I wouldn't want to go much bigger than that. So it's something for us to consider when we look at our world and the needs that exist. And that's where so much of, of, uh, I think, made your new book has us thinking about what is it that we really need how much do we need and how does it work in terms of of our neighbors and our community and and reaching beyond uh you know globally then right yeah yeah i think that's one way to look at it um but i also i've also been recognizing and talking a lot about how much invisible labor we rely on to make our lives easier. I think it goes beyond the house that you live in. It's, you know, the, the garbage men who come and take the garbage away, the street cleaners, the, um, the people who plow roads, uh, the, you know, whenever you go out to eat, you have an entire kitchen staff, a hostess, a waitress, a busser. Uh, you have uh, janitors at the place where you work. You have um, things that are constantly swarming around you and they're really people cleaning up after you uh and and it that's often just so um unrecognized and i think we kind of pretend that that's not happening and that often results a lot in lower wages or wages that they can't even live off of or support their families that certainly is such an important message um because you certainly felt that, didn't you, in the homes where you worked? In fact, in one of your employment situations, didn't you have to just really keep a low profile, not be there when the homeowners were around? Yeah, I, I think the nature of my job a lot of the time was to make myself invisible, but leaving the space better. Um, so it was a kind of a hidden agreement that, I was not to leave any evidence that I had been there, um, but to leave evidence that I had been there in like the lines in the carpet or the freshly folded towels or folded over toilet paper. Um, but I think it was, it was never a desirable thing to leave evidence that like an actual human being was in there. It was more of like I was some kind of cleaning fairy that came in. So what what do you think we're really doing in that way if we want to not have signs of that? Do we not want to acknowledge that there are human beings then that are 
taking care of our property and picking up our garbage, uh, talking about the sanitation workers or uh, the janitors in an office building. Are, are we trying to ignore that? I think so. I think it's, um, it's just something we're so used to not noticing. Um, and I think once you start to notice it, you start to feel kind of bad. Um, and especially when you look people in the eye and, and acknowledge that they are human beings that deserve everything that you have. Um, they are just kind of trapped in this position of working for incredibly small amounts of money um, and are possibly even caught up in this system of government assistance like I was that is really nearly impossible to get out of. Actually, I, I, I'd like to cycle back to that um, and visit that again in terms of, of those the government programs and having to keep requalifying for them. It, it really seems like a, a, another catch-22 that it takes time to go stand in line and have to do this, and, and that's thwarting your ability to do the work you need to do. It, it's really almost set up for failure. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there were so many times that, um, you know, I would make $50 more a month and suddenly have a $50 copay for my child care. Yes, that kind of thing, punishing people for trying to do better and uh, in doing so, you're, again, slipping backwards. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not a system that encourages you to improve your life or to really get out of it. It's, it's very hard. Um, I mean, even when I went off of food stamps uh, three years ago, I, I did it because I could kind of afford it, but not really. Uh, but it was just getting to be too much work to prove that I was working. Cause I, um, I was working as a freelance writer primarily. And, you know, when you work full time as a freelance writer, I had 30 pieces in the mix of, you know, anywhere from pitching to invoicing. And it was extremely hard to hand in my proof of income and, and how much I was actually making. And, uh, and, and I frankly just didn't want to do it anymore. Uh, I wanted to be able to go to the grocery store and buy whatever I wanted and not hear the cashier say on your EBT. And then me kind of like sheepishly look around and say, yeah, and use food stamps. Um, but there were several weeks after that, several, there was like a month long period at one time, uh, that I, I was very hungry. Uh, and my kids ate reasonably well, but I skipped a lot of meals. And so that, that shows that your dream of being a writer, and it was so important to have that kind of, there is the beacon to be at least thinking about and knowing that maybe someday you would get there. And and you did. You went off to university. You were able to accomplish that education. But it's not that it's now without a struggle or it hasn't been completely. Maybe now with uh, your great new book made, there might be some shifting of, uh, of sands in a way. Maybe. I mean, I'm still $50,000 in debt from student loans. Um, I'm still renting a house and have to be able to afford that. And 
uh, all of the other housing expenses and, and living expenses that come with having two kids on your own. And, um, you know, I have two kids to put through college too. There's, it takes a lot (laughs) to be able to afford things on your own. And I think we forget that about single parents is we're expecting them to fulfill the income and, and physical, uh, presence of two people and it it's impossible i mean uh even in the higher income brackets it's still a huge struggle to be able to um just finish the day sometimes because there's always so much to do it it we still, even as a as a couple, perhaps raising the children, each perhaps has a career or j- definitely has their own work to do, and yeah, it, there's a lot to get accomplished in a day and and take care of children, which is a whole, if you will, career or work on its own, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And kids, kids are no joke, and <laughs> they're a lot of work uh, in every single aspect. Uh, and I, for someone who is um, working a job like I was or um, on their own and doesn't have any family support, it's it's incredibly difficult. And, and family support, it, it had to be so um, annoying, frustrating, challenging when people would say, well, what about family? Where are the grandparents? Assuming that, of course, all grandparents are definitely going to be right there taking over. But that's not the case. It wasn't for you. And it's not that your parents didn't have a right to their own choices, correct? Well, I, they chose the things that they did, but I never really understood it. Um I didn't understand how they could not be involved in my daughter's life. Has that changed at all? No. Um, No, I haven't talked to either of my parents in uh, at least five years. I think I haven't talked to my dad in six, maybe. Mm. And and that is hard to understand. Uh, For me, being close with uh, now just my mother, but... um, to think of parents not wanting to continue to be involved, but uh, and maybe that's why you would have the a teacher or a nurse or doctor saying, uh, "Where where are the grandparents? Why aren't they pitching in here?" Yeah, um, in the the area that we lived in, uh, Skagit Valley, it's like an hour north of Seattle. Um, it's kind of a old community. Uh, there's several generations, uh, especially because there's a lot of farmers around there. Um, but a lot of my classmates, um, had kind of like big names for the area and they had like pretty well-known farms, especially when you get into like the tulip side of things. Um, but it, it seemed like there's a generational to the area. And so I think that was a more natural response, uh, because it was just so common to live in the same place where you grew up. Right. Well, there are just so many various kinds of insights, important insights and stories in this uh, memoir, really, right, Stephanie? With Made, 
hard work, low pay, and a mother's will to survive, uh, single parenthood, um, tough labor, stretching to make ends meet. Uh, the book is really a must read. And I was telling you earlier that um, in Seattle with the uh, public library system, we have a books that are peak picks. So there there are hundreds of books available um, on a very quick turnaround when people want to look around for them. But I think it's a book that has so much heart in it that we might really want to have our own copy. And of course, we can do that. It's available at all of our favorite book sources, right, Stephanie? Yep. Yeah, um, Barnes & Noble, uh, anywhere you purchase your book, there should be one there. And a website so we can follow more of your writing and see what you're up to. Yeah, I actually do a weekly newsletter, um, and you can sign up for that through uh, my website is called stepville.com. It's just S-T-E-P-V-I-L-L-E.com. Uh, and then I'm, I'm all over the Internet at Step, Stepville as well. So uh, I've gotten a lot of new followers lately, and it's pretty, uh, pretty flattering. And I expect that as the book gets into more and more hands, that should be the case as well. And um, I, I think follow you along that way because uh, potentially uh, the book event that had to be canceled because of some crazy weather we had here, uh, you'll be showing up in the Seattle area for that, right? Yeah, I hope so. We're still um, we're still working on trying to reschedule the event at Elliott Bay, um, but. I'll I'll be back, or I'll I'll make it happen in some way or another. That sounds perfect. So that's a, another reason to just watch social media and your website and find out what's going on, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Sure. Right. Well, Stephanie Land, it's been really wonderful to have you take so much time with us this morning, giving us some. Uh, peeks into your life and what went on in writing made. Uh, we only scratched the surface of it, really. But uh, really, the advice is get your copy, read it, and really get connected and find that compassion and will to do something more for our society, right? I definitely hope so. Well, you certainly are doing great work. Thank you again for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. And with that, we are at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Stephanie Land and Sunday Morning Magazine with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 106.9 webpage. Click on the On Air tab, then Sunday mornings, and look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of considering dreams, the work that we do, how it is all working out. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.